Pelotero Pickle, episode 47. We are talking high IQ baseball plays, Josh Donaldson versus the league, and new name, image, likeness rules, and NCAA stuff. Got to check it out. It is July 5th. We're recording on a national holiday. That's how dedicated we are to the game. Pelotero Pickle, episode 47. Chris Colabello, how are you doing today? Just, you know, feeling, feeling uh, independent. That's good. I'd like to take this opportunity to remind our guests to fill up the mailbag, pickle at pelotero.com. Send us emails, give us topics. We can come up with them on our own, but we'd rather hear from you. So send us emails at pickle at pelotero.com. Do you, did you want to plug the, the mailbag as well? Please, gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, hit up pickle at pelotero.com for your ideas on what these guys should talk about. Anytime you want, send that email over and we're ready to roll. That's how you plug an email address, Robert. That's that's why you're the CEO, the chief entertainment officer. That had uh, it was eerily familiar with the road dog Jesse James. You remember uh Degeneration X? It's not the first time I've heard you do that sequence of speaking ladies and gentlemen boys and girls children of all ages d generation x proudly brings to you tag team champions of the world it was funny if you watched wrestling you you certainly i wasn't see i wasn't a wrestler i didn't really get into it i knew it was fake i couldn't my brain just couldn't get into it i just i just never did i watched every pay-per-view from 1989 to 1996 as a matter of fact i was so obsessed with wrestling I have every one of those recorded on VHS so that I could go back and watch them again. And I found them all at my parents' house recently. It's crazy. All right, let's jump into the real topics here. Uh, number one, I, I tweeted about this. I saw the play from Jackie Bradley Jr. One of the coolest plays I think I've ever seen a center fielder make because it was like so routine, except he made it not routine so it was a deep fly ball to center field, a runner up at first, less than two outs. He ran really hard to get to a spot and then like completely Cadillac it like it was a home run. So like the coolest thing about it for me was he had to be in a spot where he could deke it. That's the part that intrigues me the most was like most guys get to, they like they hustle to the spot and they catch the ball. So he like had to have run hard early so then he could like get into his homer jog and then just catches it and fires at the first base to get the guy out. I was hoping it was a pitcher. I looked it up. It was a catcher running. So if it was a pitcher, I would have allowed it a little bit more. So just bad base running altogether. But I thought it was a really, really cool play. And I wanted to talk about that play and other high IQ plays. Because uh, we were we were doing some NECBL reminiscing the other day. I had a play in Sanford, Maine. Jeremy Crum batting. I think it was Jeremy Crum. Lead off lefty. I believe fast. You're talking about for the Mill City All Americans, wrong team, pal. No, Sanford, all, Sanford, Maine. Oh, all right. They had a lefty leadoff hitter. I think his name is. Yeah, you're Crum. right. It was, I mean, Crum played for Sanford. They had Crum and Crew, which was weird to me. Yeah. Crew was a righty, though. Crum was a lefty leadoff fast. Thick grass up in Sanford. But anyway, what are, you, what are your thoughts on this JBJ play? JBJ. I think all plays when you fool somebody are awesome. So, it's the equivalent of the guy taking a throw to base and being very coy and casual about you know, acting like the ball's not coming. That one happens a lot, though. Have you ever seen the fake homer? Because, like, guys will they'll go into, like, the glide stride. Like, they just kind of shut it down and the ball goes over the fence if they're not going to try to rob it. So have you ever seen a play deked like that? I've seen, like, the, oh, I'm going to fake catch it and try to, like, get you at second base with that one. Each row one. Yeah, that, so I – Ichiro was playing right field in uh, in San Francisco, and I stood there like he was going to catch the ball. It was way over his head, so he just stood there and was, like, looking up. The, the key to the deke is making it look real. Do you, I, do you realize that in the American League Division Series in Game 2, Russell Martin hit a ball off the right field wall, and I didn't score from second because Chu – and honestly, I don't even know if he was trying to deke it, but his jog was so coy – and I had to tag because there were no outs. So the ball hit off the wall and he, he picked it up. 
I love good deeks because when you really make it look like you would do the thing that you're going to do to make the play. So I hate when I watch guys in the outfield go like, like just lift their hand up in the air to try to deke a fly ball being caught, especially in a situation where the ball's not even close to them. Certainly you can make the argument that you'll catch a, uh, a I don't know, lesser thinker on the baseball field, but I don't know. I love good deeks. Jackie Bradley made a good play. I wish he wasn't hitting 160. Terrific defender. Not a great hitter. Immaculate defender. I've talked to a lot of people who say he's one of the best they've ever seen out there. And he's not the fastest, but he gets the best jumps. That's what I keep hearing. I, yeah, I mean. I, jumps and routes. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that. At, at some point, I mean, Kevin Kiermaier is very similar. He's fast, though. Um, Who's a better arm? Kiermaier. They both have bazookas. I just don't – I I wish they could hit. Because if they could hit a little bit, that'd be awesome. I think Jackie Bradley can hit. Every time he would hit a couple balls to the left side, every time he would get hot for a week, it's like he doesn't know how much time he has. And then he panics and then he just swings. Yeah, he was doing some stuff in Boston last year. And then I think that coaching staff was good for him. And now he's out. And he's in a new place. Baseball is funny like that. Get around a little different coaches, a little different environment. But anyway, the IQ plays are. Yeah, what's the best? What's the best IQ play that you've ever pulled off? I would say the double play in the division series, just because of the stage it was on. When I dove to my right and I froze fielder. And then went and tagged Hamilton, turned an unassisted. Who turns an unassisted double play from first base? That's not like a line drive or a fly ball out. I was looking at some Prince Fielder swings last night too. Yeah, um, there. That play, that plays up there. So the thing, the thing I always, I always tried to just think about making an impact on the game defensively. Um, my one of my favorite things to do is I'd be playing first base and there'd be a runner on second with nobody out and. I'd get the ground ball and I would just fire it to third base. If I, if I, I just paid attention to who the runner was, I paid attention to how hard the ball was hit. Uh, love that play. Love, love, love that play. Um, and it's exciting when it happens because you don't get an opportunity for it very often. Uh, another one of my favorite plays is to throw behind. So on a bunt play, run around first bunt play, and you're not going to believe who inspired this. When I tell you Todd Leathers of, Quebec. every time Todd Leathers would would hold at first base when there was a bunt so like he, maybe he didn't crash right because the third the ball was gonna go to the third base side or it was right back to the pitcher and he was just gonna stay he would just catch the ball and as soon as he would catch it he would throw up to second without even really looking it wasn't like a no look throw but it was just without even seeing where the runner was Auto throw. the natural tendency on the bunt play is for the runner because they're not going to slide is to run and round second just a little bit. So he would just catch it and throw it. I, I saw him get at least three guys out that way because the guys would get to second and the ball would already be mid-flight. And then by the time they turned around, they were about to get tagged. Um, I, was at my- a, I was at a UCF practice one time, Central Florida, with uh, – who's the coach that's at, at South Carolina now? What's his name? Um, what was it? Kingston. Kingston. Kingston was a coach there at the time. You sure you weren't at the University of South Florida? I'm pretty sure he was at Central. Wasn't he at Central, then South? I don't know if he was at Central Florida before, but I, I don't remember us ever going to a practice at the University I wasn't, of South I wasn't with you. I wasn't with you. Was I, went there, I went there primarily to see Kevin Schnall and talk some hitting. This was like, two, it was like 2012, I think. First, I think it was first spring training trip. Yeah. You're probably right. Yeah. And they were teaching the players to slide into second base on the steal because they're like, well, you don't want to take that turn because then you expose yourself to the back pick. I love the auto drive. On the steal, on the bunt. On the bunt, yeah. It's a yeah. steal. Did I say steal? Yeah. I meant bunt. I know. Talk about butts. So run on, run on first. The millions and millions that listen to our show. 
runner at first, auto slide on a bunt. Because it, yeah. it prevents that little, it's that the stupid little casual turn, like, oh, let's see what's going on. Doesn't matter. Just, just you're safe. Just stay there. Yeah. Um, I love that. I, there was a, I used to catch in Little League and we used to do uh, this like auto throw to first base on a walk. Like a kid would walk, I just throw it to, I throw it straight to first and the first baseman catch it all casual. You get like once a game, you get some kid to just take a turn around first. Yeah. Tag him and he's out. There's nothing better than plays that aren't supposed to be out. The, I love when there's a ball hit in the infield. Uh, that's ne- you're never going to throw the guy out at first and you give the like real hard deep to first base and then catch a runner off base. Um, it's, that's I what mean, I did to Jeremy Crum. Yeah. There was a runner on second runner on lead off batter, lefty fast, a slow roller to short. Um, I feel it on the run. I had no chance to get the guy pump fake hard at first spin, get the guy, guy heard the coach yelling, go, go, go. Yeah. So I just pump fake him to the third. It was awesome. You can do the same thing on a double play ball that you know you're not going to turn it on. Just catch it and automatically go to third base. Which, by the way, when you're doing infield outfield, just for any coach that's listening to this, that's doing infield outfield, always, 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 when the first baseman takes their ground ball, have the shortstop pump fake to first and throw to third. Like, don't do the return throw because 97.2% of the time, the only way you're going to get that double play is if the pitcher's there. The only one that the first baseman will stay there for is the one that they're at the bag. So shortstops, when you take a throw from the first baseman, work on it. Pump to first, turn, throw to third. Love that play. Do you think the pump fake is necessary there? Uh, yes. I mean, because it's from from a timing perspective, yeah, because the pump fake will actually cause you to be more on time with the guy rounding the base as opposed to being coming in. Could have done both ways. I've seen it. I think if the guy's rounding, he's going to be rounding anyway. And you might actually have a better chance of just going straight to third. I've seen it done both ways. Yeah. I just like the pumps. I used to love in during infield outfield, the fake to first throw to third. I would just unload my, my best throw because your back's turning and you get the full turn and just let it rip. Yeah. I used to try to show it off there. I didn't have much to show off, but I used to try. That was a fun one. Big decal. Oh, uh, in the European Cup, I or the, the the Super Six. This is another good one. Dropping a bunt, pop up bunt. Yeah, I think that's I think that's the smartest play on the planet. Especially like I watched the guy. The guy tried to drag bunt with the runner on first. Especially especially the guy bunting isn't running hard because he's pissed. Yeah, well, that's exactly what he did. He he was actually a little fast guy, and what he did was he uh, he bunted it, and then he just put his head down and, and slowed down because I was I mean I was camped. And then I saw him and I was like, well, I'll just drop it. And then the only thing I got nervous about is I had to drop it over my head because he bunted it hard. So I had to, I had to like stay there long enough that it looked like I was going to catch it. And I put my glove up and the ball went over me and then I scrambled. But when I grabbed it, nobody knew what to do. So I, uh, I just tagged the runner and then stepped on first. A terrible camera angle or else I, I would have loved to have seen this live because and everybody Went, whoa oh my god couldn't believe it Ew. it was nice hidden ball trick good high iq play circumstantial uh hidden ball trick is fun like in little league i think after little league it's kind of sophomore year in college against duquesne university one nothing game if you can get out like that man it's at the end of the day it's about stealing outs right you're just trying to find a way to steal outs that's what high in moments are. in moments it can make like if if you are trying to put out a fire and you can steal it out like that, what a big deal that can be. I get rattled at coaches that tell me, "Whoa, it's not worth risking throwing it away." And I said, "What?" I said, "What? We're just playing catch." I said, "Just play catch." That can be a problem I, for some. But I, I I understand that, but I think you have to get young defenders comfortable with the idea of doing athletic baseball things. If you're ever if playing you're gonna. If you're going to be good, like if you want to be good, right, you can't worry about your catcher throwing a back pick into right field. If you want to be good, you can't worry about your pitcher not being able to throw a pitch out. So your argument for trying to win is, oh, we better not throw it away. Well, you stink if you if you can't do it. 
right? Oh, we're trying to win a game. Are you trying to be mediocre? We're trying to go 20 and 21 and, you know, a division three college season, like then just whatever, make, try to make a play. Cause is it, is it worth like panicking over an inability to, to execute a play instead of just let's have fun with it and give guys confidence that if they make a sick play, it's awesome. That's how you get better. No. Yeah. You gotta, gotta play the game. Got to play the game. All right, let's move on to the next topic. I have it labeled as Josh Donaldson versus the league, specifically Giolito, because that's what happened this week. But he kind of came out against Cole. He's said he was going to reveal all the players that use sticky stuff, which is kind of funny because by the law of averages, I guess you could say his teammates should be or would be using sticky stuff. Um, situation with Giolito, hit a homer, came across the plate being like, oh, it's not sticky anymore. It's not sticky anymore. Giolito didn't appreciate it. And in his post-game interview was asked about it. And he said, oh, he's a pest. And we got the W. So what's he talking about? And then Donaldson confronted him in the parking lot and said, you got something to say, say it to my face. And Giolito was like, quiet, apparently. Haven't heard much about it since. Lance Lynn came out. Did you hear the Lance Lennon interview about it, which was awesome? He was like, this is great for the game. Like, Donaldson's getting booed when we when he plays here. Giolito's going to get booed when they when he pitches in Minnesota. It's just creating more personality in the game, guys being themselves. He talked about how Donaldson, how he played against him in college, that that's who, he, that's who he's always been, that's who he's going to be. So it's just his personality on the field. And the same thing with Giolito. He's a quiet guy. He's not going to be in your face. So he's just being himself, too. So – um, we've both had experience with Josh, so I think can appreciate the situation. What do you, what do you got on it? Josh is a very opinionated human. And I think he's predominantly calculated in his words, but also very arrogant with a disregard for anybody else's feelings or the impact that his words may or may not have. I didn't take the thing that he did against Giolito very offensively from a Giolito standpoint. Uh, Clearly the guy's a good pitcher. Uh, Whether or not he was talking to Giolito or not, I whatever dude you, if you if you had a problem with what he did it's not it's not, like don't go cry to the media right so in in this case I, I i almost hate that the thing got fought through the media first right it got argued through the media first instead of like he didn't dot anyone he didn't throw a ball behind um he because he faced him again in the game right so you got a problem with what he did let him know about it don't go to the media and say, eh, eh, he's a pest. Cause now it was a close game. He wasn't, I don't think he was in a position to, you can him. always, that's, that's a choice. That's a choice. Somebody. Yeah. You he could, he could just do it. You can always like, Oh, I missed by a foot behind you. There's always an opportunity for that. And I don't, it, I don't know. Or I just, don't, I don't like arguing things in the media before they get argued in human. And I think that was Donaldson's point, right? You got you got something to say to me, say it. Like, you're not supposed to like me. I'm not supposed to like you. And in a lot of ways, I agree with them. Um, that being said, you know, I don't know. He, he went after, he went after Ozzy Guillen, which was because Ozzy Guillen is another harsh opinionated critic of everything because he, gets paid to be a talking head now i guess and he just he was like dude my ops is 150 points higher than yours in your career i don't know i I mean look is the high road even a place anymore does anybody take it does it exist so the so going back to the homer and the the, it's not sticky anymore i think if you're the pitcher get taking offense to that like it's personal because it's true if, if you do take offense to it, right? Is that fair to say? The only reason you're going to get upset about it is if you feel like you're getting called out. 
I honestly have no idea how intimate pitchers' relationships is with sticky stuff. I'm I'm gonna be completely honest. I've I've handed a bunch of pitchers sticky stuff. I've handed them pine tar rags, but I don't like. Do, I, I guess it's like with anything else, where if you feel like you need it to win, then you need it to win. It's uh, you know, anything it. It's a very commonplace thought process that I have now, where people that have routines when you when you say you have a routine it just means that this is what you think you need to do to be your best it's it's not an actual thing now from a science physio what physio scientific you know physio scientific yeah whatever like uh, i'm trying to think of like a word that that fits there from a physiology of like scientific standpoint psychology like no, a, like the actual like mechanics of throwing the pitch. No, 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 I'm talking about like how your routines impact, how your preparation would impact your performance, right? You know, people say, "Hey, get eight hours of sleep." I, there are plenty of times I've gotten three hours of sleep and had my best games, and there are plenty of times I got eight hours of sleep and had crappy games. So, I understand that the direct reflection of sleep to outcome in a baseball game is very detached, but I think this is part of like this lost art of baseball. So I, I don't, I don't fundamentally understand what Giolito's relationship was with spider tack or pine tar or bullfrog and rosin. I, I don't know. Right. I don't know what, what that relationship was like for him. So whatever, like I, I, I cause what, what it comes down to now is I think pitchers, like pitchers just need to pitch to their stuff. Like you need to pitch to your stuff. Right. So I don't know. Did he take it personal? Cause it's true. Maybe. Did he take it personal? Cause it's Donaldson and nobody likes him. Maybe. Did he take it personal? Cause he hasn't given up a bomb in the first inning to the two hitter in ages. Also maybe. But what I would say is if you don't like it, pitch better. And I thought, I thought that would have been a very Josh Donaldson answer for, for that question. But well, with, with JD, what happens on the field, I think, does matter most, right, with him? If you yeah. you post up and you produce, that's what he cares about the most. So if Giolito just dominated him, he wouldn't have had an opportunity to say anything. So ultimately, it's going to come to that. But then for, for Giolito to say something to like, – I, I completely agree with you. If Giolito was that offended, he should have thrown a pitch behind him. Don't have to hit the guy, but you can certainly send a message. Let him know. There's ways to let him know. Yeah, you could certainly send a message with – and I think Josh would have respected that more, at least like man up, chest up, let's go, you know, like, yeah. like I'll fight you, let's go, but I, do it on the field. The thing that I think Donaldson said in his interview that he had a problem with the most is he called him classless, which whatever, I, I, I don't, I don't know. Is perception reality. I, I, I he's a brash dude. Yeah, you should. I, I guess we should. He's, he's the guy. I, I read one blog that was like, it's a, it's the whole. If you're teammates with a guy, you like him. If you're an opponent, you hate him. Just like some guys have that brash, just intensity about them that can rub you the wrong way. But if you're on the team with them, it gives you energy. So, you know, producing always helps in that situation. You can't be just brash and not produce. But, uh, I, I think. If if Giolito, even if he hit him, hit him in the ribs, hit him in the butt, hit him in the thigh, whatever, brush him back, throw it over his head, he would have respected that more than him than Giolito saying something in the press. Yeah, I think it turned into a circus. I, I think Donaldson was looking for motivation, so he did that, and then obviously the next day he went up top and showtimed it. That like he, I've never seen a dude thrive more in, in moments of controversy as much as that dude. Least surprising thing ever to hear that he confronted me. <laughs> yeah, no, I was like the least surprised of all time. Now, what I will say is like, I would be curious to see what would happen if he actually had to get in a fist fight. Because I'm not sure what would happen in that scenario. Like he, like that was like the ultimate one up. It's like the one up game, right? Where it's like, you want to say something in the media? Well, come say it to my face. So I'm going to get in your face and then see if you have anything to say. Like, is he willing to take that next step? That's the, that's the real question i would put my money on yes that he would sure uh would giolito 
if we go Donaldson versus Giolito in a fight, who wins? Is that what we're saying? No, no, I'm just uh, just generally speaking. Like, I know a lot of people, it's like people talk, like they'll talk, and obviously Donaldson will talk a lot and just be obscene with his appearance and clothes and hair or whatever. We, we, like, and I think there's intent to it. I think there's intent to looking ridiculous so that people judge you in a weird way and then you're, you're just kind of using how they perceive you as to your advantage, right? Um, but yeah, I, I'm curious when people like when it comes time to walk the walk, are you going to, I think Donaldson's very aware of the fact that if he got in that guy's face, he would not say anything or throw or whatever. Yeah. Curious to see if he would do it to a person that he thought would. We'll find Maybe we'll find out eventually. Well, who knows? Let's move on. Rafael Devers has been crushing fastballs after not crushing fastballs. Um, there was a segment on MLB Network. Mark DeRosa did a whole deal. We got lightning strikes nearby, according to my phone right now. Um, Endeavors bat. Yeah. So it's uh, when was it? it was through June third, and then after June fourth, June fourth and after. Do you when was the when was the sticky stuff thing? It was it was. 20th, 21st, something like that. So this isn't pure sticky stuff related, but he went from hitting 198 off fastballs to hitting 435 off fastballs, slugging 406 to 761, whiff rate down from 40 to 26.7%. So crushing fastballs. They showed a series in Houston where he just got his doors blown in. Um, and then Yankees came to town and he figured it out, just started going up top on fastballs. Um, Devers is a good hitter, man. He's a really good hitter. And when it comes to like fastball adjustments, like maybe he was banged up a little bit. Maybe he was tired. Maybe he wasn't feeling good. Maybe he was just late getting ready. I haven't looked into it too much, but I, my biggest topic that I want to discuss here was just making adjustments. And if you don't establish fastball timing, then you're just, you're, you're going to be in between. You're either you gotta either sit fastball or sit off speed. You can't be on time to what's in the middle because then you're late to fastball and early on off speed. You're just in neutral and you suck. So you have to establish a timing. You have, whether you could pick, usually it's better to be on time to fastball because you're gonna get more fastballs usually. Um, especially if you get your doors blown in on fastballs, then like, hey, wake up, be on time to fastball. Um, but just the ability to make adjustments. There was one particular at bat where he Almost hit a homer foul. It was like down the line, just slice foul. Then he swung and missed under fastball. And then next pitch, like way up top, pull side. And that, that seemed to be that bat that clicked for him. Uh, what's your take on this? Devers now destroying fastballs. So I think he's a young hitter who already has, what, three or four years in the big leagues. Um, and when he first came up, his the way he moves, the way his barrel tip works – it was very clear that he was going to be a fastball to the opposite field and breaking ball change up to the pull side type of guy. Like the only balls he pulled early in his career were, were off speed. And I think it was because he created really good depth with the barrel and say what you will about it, things like that. But it, it killed off speed pitches, just killed off speed. And little by little, he's learned to transition to, you know, a, a little bit flatter bat path top of the zone and, and learning his body and how he needs to move. It's a very similar story to, you know, to Chris Bryant and Mike Bryant talking through it at length. But Raphael Devers is like organically just becoming, right? Because I've had multiple conversations with the staff there. It's almost like he does, he's a great kid. He just, he, almost like he doesn't know better. So that blind naivete just allows him to do what the game is telling him. And I think once you establish yourself in the major leagues and you know, you're a guy and you're going to play and that you don't have to worry about the kid coming up behind you. Even if you go a month without getting a hit, it becomes significantly easier to do these things. Um, now from looking at that kid, I think it's just been a very organic transition for him because he's thinking about hitting first. He's not thinking about moves first. He's thinking about hitting first. So what do I have to do to be able to do what I need to do? And then figure out how your body adjusts to it, right? 
and to your point about fastball timing, I just think when you learn what on time really means and you learn to err on the side of early and that it'll allow you to be on time, the sky's the limit for really good hitters. I think, again, I watch so many, so many young hitters that they're just not on time, Bobby. They're just not on time. Like by, we've, we've talked about Byron Buxton. You're living in these windows of, of, of perfect to late. And, and it's really hard to survive in those windows. And then you watch guys like Devers do what they're doing and, and just figuring it out. And like, this guy has zero mechanics conversations throughout the day. I know this for a fact, like zero. He doesn't talk about mechanics with anybody. Uh, I, I mean, he just goes and figures out how to hit. And there's something to be said for that. Um, yeah, I mean, I, the, whole, the totality of what we're talking about, hitting the fastball. Priority one in baseball, learn how to be on time to heaters, learn, like figure it out. And then people are like, well, how do I hit the breaking ball? You'll learn how to slow down when you need to, or you'll learn how to create time when you need to, but you have to hit heaters or especially early on. Cause if you can't hit the heater, you're just, you're, you're going to swing and miss too much. It's just what it is. Yeah. I used to love doing drills where alternating fastball curveball, you could throw a BP to a kid all day. Fastball, 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 be on time, be on time, be on time. And then go, all right, I'm going to alternate fastball, curveball. And then they will immediately be late to the fastball and early on the breaking ball. And it's the funniest thing ever because it's the same exact speed. It's the same exact speed. And they just get right in the middle. They can't, they can't define each pitch. Um, and then I'll do drills where it's like, you have to pull the fastball. You have to go oppo on the breaking ball. Just from a timing perspective, gotta, gotta be on time. Gotta get it out front. You just got to be earlier and then breaking ball, you have to be later. So that's just a simple drill to just force a kid to just be more aware of their timing. And if they feel like they have to rush to the fastball, it's like you're getting ready late, just get, just start moving earlier. It's not that big of a deal. Um, and then the one that's always the wonkiest is oppo fastball, pull the off speed. Cause then they're like closer to that in between where they have to let the fastball travel and they have to catch it just it gets it you're just flexing this timing window where it's like you got to be on this side and then you're going to pull it closer and then you go back out and you define that one then define that one it it's really really good to do um i would do the same thing with four seam two seam or a similar drill with four team two seam where you have to hit grounders on the four seam you have to the, the two seam in the air so now we're going vertical adjustments. So it's like this one, this one, this one, this one, like messing around with accuracy top to bottom. And it's just like all designed to make adjustments and feel where you need to be and, and have this awareness built. And it's just, it's a fun way to, to make batting practice, not just swinging at a ball coming to you. So you just defined what, first of all, the fastball, oppo, breaking ball, the full side. When I, like I learned, I, when I learned how to hit the fastball, the opposite field, with timing like with on time with my body it was stupid right like that's, I, at least, that's at least variance from a timing standpoint yeah and then and then you know, let you, the fastball travel and then you're gonna catch a curveball up front so your your window's only this big versus the fastball which way is the camera better fastball out here curveball back here it's like you got to go quick here and you got to let it travel here so if you switch those it, it's just a different yeah keep going it's just scary as you get older and you mature more how you can how you can just like understand these things and and what the stuff you're talking about is like blatant hitting stuff this is hitting this is how you learn how to hit this is how you build database information you don't do it by just having a guy put a ball right in the middle of home plate and letting you see how far you can hit it uh so this weekend was crappy weather up here right and i got multiple text messages on saturday being like, hey, can you hit today? And I was like, no, because I was annoyed. It's you know July Fourth weekend. I had a bunch of stuff to do on Saturday too. I was like, no, I was like, annoyed. I was like, why do you want to hit? Because because it rained and you didn't get a chance to hit. And now you're bored because you you think you taking BP is going to make you better today. And I was like, why do you want to hit? And if the answer was good enough, I would have said okay. But everybody was they didn't have an answer they didn't know and i was so caught i think they're supposed to 
It's like, oh, well, if I get, if I got to go get my swings in. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. Right. And I said, dude, you don't need to hit. You need to have this conversation that we're about to have. You don't need BP today. You coming in for BP and us talking about your back shoulder or your front foot is whatever. It's the middle of the season. It's the middle of your summer ball. Like, I know you're not going to make the adjustment right now anyway, that like the big physical looming adjustment that could be made to help you because you want to get hits tomorrow. And I would want to get hits too. So I'm not going to make a swing overhaul in the middle of the season. Now, what I will tell you is this, you better figure out a way to grind your butt off with two strikes. And, and I think that, so this whole, the totality of this whole thing is like, you got to figure out how to be successful. And I honestly, like we're just talking about something as simple as, the difference between a four-seamer and a two-seamer. I can't imagine what that would have been like when I was 14 if somebody taught me what the difference between a four-seamer and two-seamer was because I had no idea. The first time I faced a sinker ball, I didn't even know what it was. I was like, what's what? Like, what's a sinker? Like, what? I don't – you're swinging at fastballs down the middle and going, like, why am I hitting these on the ground to short? It was probably like pro ball when Rich Goodman was like, hey, uh, like, you can't hit the two-seamer onto the pull side. I was like, what? <laughs> why? like well here's the path of the ball like you can't stay inside it and i was like what that's that's scary terrifying i got through college didn't know what the difference between a two-seamer and four-seamer was that's scary all right we got this this book right here inner game of tennis yeah fantastic read for hitters like you you'd be better off reading that book than taking swings um that book and then uh the book good to great um is a really good one uh, not good to great. That's not the one I'm thinking of. Um, I think, no, I think good to great has it, but there's a bunch of books that talk about like myelin and the whole like neural pathways of skill development. And when, like from a mechanical standpoint, like the actual, like physical stuff that's happening in your brain that makes skills happen. Um, these books, they, they talk about like, once you have it, once you understand what you need to be doing and what you need to feel, you just have to get on in rhythm. Like once you feel your rhythm, you don't need in the golf scenario, younger players will go out and just pound balls for two hours, just swing, 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 swing. And then like Federer go out for like 20 minutes and just be like, yep, I'm good. Like just nice and easy. Just get loose, feel what you need to feel then shut it down. And there's so much power to that. And think about like the high school player that, that just shows up and just hits and hits and hits and hits and hits. And they haven't figured out yet that they need to feel what they need to feel. They don't have the awareness yet. They, they're chasing something. They're chasing a result in the cage. Like the, a, a, a well-hit ball is going to tell them they're good instead of like, nope, that's a good pass. Like I love when kids finish on a bad hit ball because they're like, no, I, I got it. Like I'm done. My, my round can be over on a poorly hit ball because I felt what I needed to feel. And how many times in, in BP in the big leagues, you watch guys like especially the early rounds, they'll pop it up into the cage and just get out and they don't care. My last one. doesn't matter. My last swing of BP in the Toronto years was like, I would like try to eat your row just so I would get like super crazy depth. And a lot of the time I'd hit it right into the shell and they'd be like, take one more. I'm like, no, no, that was nasty. Like I'd hit a ball sideways. I'm like, yeah. And so this, this goes back to, you know, you want to talk about the neuroscience behind it. What, if you believe that what you're doing is good, then you're good. Right. If well, you so, but the, the difference with that is it's like actually like the the I think of it as like like pipes or like think of plumbing like there's tubes and there's like pathways and those things like you need to send the signals down those tubes. Sure. Great. Like, like you're sending impulses to your muscles and it's like that's what's actually happening. I so you just I, have to trigger those. Once you trigger them, you're like, yeah, that's it. I'm, you take I'm you take go. scientific looks at this. I'm taking and I like look. I whatever the science, the human, the psychology, the what, the, whatever. The feeling, the innate feeling that I have, and and the hard part about having these conversations is, I can never put myself in another hitter's brain, and that's what's terrifying to me. Where I literally acknowledge the fact that I could think one thing, and say it to somebody else, and try to get them to implement it. And it'll be completely different. It might make no sense to them. Now I go based off experience and having heard it from somebody else and seeing the people that I know that have been successful and the conversations I've had with them. Right. 
i.e. Rich Kedman being my, my biggest influence and role model in terms of like learning how to be a pro. So when we have these conversations, I don't even know if the dialogue is making an impact, right? Because there are so many times when I think that the words that come out of my mouth were so impactful for me the first time I heard them or the second time I heard them. And, you know, in some cases they do the trick and in others they don't. And I go, and that's what's terrifying because I, I sit here and go like, what's your defining moment? Like, what is, what is your individual, individual defining moment? Cause I had a bunch of them along the way and most of them happened at times that I really wasn't ultimately expecting them. So it's weird, man. And again, I, I get what you're talking about, about the pathways and the, and the, the tubes and science and myelin and all that stuff. To me, it's just about, it was always about an emotion, right? And what, what is the emotion? The emotion for me is I wanted to win. I took losing very personally. And I, and I don't mean like I was going to win at all costs. Like I was going to do checkers when you're a kid. I, I was a competitor. I didn't like losing it didn't mean that there was nothing you could beat me at. It meant that if you did, I was going to figure out the thing that I needed to do to beat you, especially if you told me that I couldn't. I just didn't like being told that I couldn't. And I think that was ultimately what drove any of the stuff that, and I, I, I honestly wish more, more kids were like that now, where like, hey, dude, you can't do this. And then I'd be like, okay, watch me, mother you know yeah it's good it's good let's move on mississippi state won the ncaa championship and we have all these name image likeness rules that have changed players can now get paid i guess there's a process behind it. i haven't looked too much into it but uh about the change we had a big segment one of a very very popular instagram post we did was talking about jack lighter and him being like, is he a draft pick? Should he sign? I think it's going to really be a very interesting situation for players that are very good that can potentially make more money as a college player. Because as soon as you sign in pro ball, unless you've developed a personal brand, personal branding is going to start taking over. Personal branding is now way more important. Uh, you better build up your TikTok following, your Twitter following, your Instagram following. It's going to be interesting, but a guy like Jack Leiter could go to a school like Vanderbilt, get a free education, get all the training he needs in the offseason, uh, be surrounded by competitive, like-minded people, get good coaching, be in a pitching lab, eat really good food, get paid, uh, and also like go to class and pass. Not, not play in Peoria, Illinois, or, yeah. you know. It's going to be interesting. Listen, I always used to say this. Remember when – so Matt Leiner had a chance to come out of school as a junior and be a lottery, like just a lottery pick in the NFL would have been a first rounder. And he stayed. And I remember thinking to myself, like if I were Matt Leiner, I'd stay too. I'm at USC. I'm literally in Hollywood, Beverly Hills. Like I'm famous. I'm super famous. So I get literally whatever I want, anything I want. And on this campus, I walk around like, wh like what's a better, what's a better life. And now you just add that, like how much money would he have made the endorsement money right now? it's it's terrifying to think of i guess the unintended consequences of this i'm all for the fact that like these athletes should be able to use their their nil name image likeness i was just gonna say use their their person to to monetize their life right because it, it, the window is so short as an athlete that it's not like why not be able to do it at 18 why well, amateurism this thing that the other thing. like and like we're just crossing so many lines of of, of getting players in trouble because they signed a couple autographs and made a thousand bucks and they were able to pay for, you know, a plane ticket or whatever for their family, just remove all that. Now, again, the unintended consequence, as you spoke about was it just, I mean, it, it's been happening for years now anyway, but it becomes player over team, right. And at the collegiate level. And I think a lot of athletes are going to start to focus on their own branding more than they are on the team sport that they play uh, a, on, a, on social media, a ton of schools have been putting out messages of like pro NIL, like come to this school. We're going to support you. We have systems. Rutgers put out a thing that they have like 
the they created some sort of I don't know a committee or uh, uh, some sort of in-house like we're going to help you develop your stuff yeah like this is weird man it, it's a strange situation um in pro sports there are unions to help create a layer of protection there's also like tons and tons of revenue from tv sales from jersey sales like who gets the jersey sale money now like what's going on with that um, can players just create their own stuff because there's things with like you can use logos it's like, can you just reach, recreate your own jersey and sell it? I, I haven't looked into it enough to know any of this stuff, but I, 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 I assume that the NCAA is going to maintain all possession of their own branded materials that don't have player names. Because, like, the NCAA, the NCAA jerseys forever were sold with no name on the back, right? They had the number. So, like, the player doesn't own the number, but you, like, you used to buy the you know, the, what was it? The Reggie Bush Jersey, Lendale white was 21 at USC. Reggie Bush was 25. So like buying a Reggie Bush Jersey. If you're, if you're buying that USC Jersey with that number, it's a Reggie Bush Jersey. Right. But USC and the NCAA are making the argument that it's just a USC Jersey with a number on it. So like the, I don't know, it'd be interesting. I'm I'm glad it happened um, in a lot of ways because I think athletes should be able to leverage their, their themselves to, because they could they i mean look this this is an influencer this is a you know a a, a social media personality or whatever like these are the people like you're now just putting entertainment back in 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 these kids hands and it's obviously the audience has gotten younger and younger through through social media so i'm 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 glad that it can happen because so now people like probably don't have to watch logan paul videos and jake paul videos i'm sure they still will and stuff but um you know I, I, it's cool I, I again i fear the unintended consequence that makes it you know just this deeper rooted narcissism and, and belief that uh you know individual over team i think you and i grew up in a generation that it's scary to say this because it doesn't feel that long ago like i didn't i i was never taught to put chris colville in front of the team now as i got older my dad would try to tell me you have to put yourself in front of the team and i said dad I don't perform at my best when I'm, I put myself before team. I, I actually struggle more because it becomes like this heightened sense of urgency to, to do for me, as opposed to like offsetting so much the stresses of like, why am I not hitting on? Like, I have to help the team. This is about the squad. So like now when I'm playing, I'm playing for the guy next to me as much as I am for myself. And I think this is just one of the things that, I mean, it's happened a lot already. It's draft picks are doing it. It, it doesn't matter. So why not in college? You know, it's going to be interesting where there's some dudes that are not star players that have huge followings that they're going to get paid more than the stars are going to get paid, which is interesting just because they have big followings. Um, but I think it's going to put a bullseye on you. I mean, you're drawing attention to yourself. It's now a business relationship be careful what you do at parties. If you go out on a Saturday night, just be careful because when you have dollars attached to you, if you think people were out to get you before you're in compromising situations where you like this, is a business now. So be careful. You're making a great point. And I think this is what you're seeing happen a lot generationally, because it's just, I was talking about this yesterday with somebody. It's like, dude, you're all, are you better off? Like becoming if you want to become a professional athlete, do you just kind of stay out of everybody's way, give every proper answer, try not to become a star because you're, you're worried about somebody's coming after you at some point. Right. So like somebody's going to try to knock you off the mountain. So the younger you are, the more vulnerable you are to the negativity, the, the younger you are, the more, the more exposed you are to getting your feelings hurt. Right. Just a natural natural thing that exists in life as when I was younger I was more sensitive because I thought you know I could I could make the whole world like me and then as I got older I went this is ridiculous now we're giving 18 to 22 is the the keys to that in their hands and and saying hey just make sure when you know the first time somebody calls you out for something that you may or may not have intended to do or whatever or you know you get caught in a bad situation or whatever it is right just be ready for the backlash, man. Just be ready. Yeah. 
If you could, uh, we posted this on our Instagram. If you could pick any brand to, to you'd be Jordan all the way, right? Yeah. I mean, come on, guys. I, I stayed with Nike just so I could get, I mean, I, you, Nike and Jordan distinguish themselves as brands and in, in, in endorsements, but through your Nike merchandise account, you can get all the Jordan stuff, obviously, right? Um, if you're a Nike branded athlete, you're not supposed to wear Jordan branded stuff on the field, which I abided by, but. Yeah, if I had my choice, I was I'd be a Jordan guy every day of the week, twice on Sunday. And a lot of guys now are, are going with no, they're taking no shoe deal or no endorsement deal that would be Nike guys, so they can wear Jordans on the field. I took my Nike deal so I get free Jordan stuff. So yeah, well, it's it's interesting because if you get if you get a little bit of cash and you get your your merch account versus being able to show out on the field and, and wear what you want to wear in games. What's cooler? One's more expensive. Yeah. But then guys, so I, I didn't, I should have learned this lesson and I didn't, I wasn't paying attention enough to my accountant when I would do my taxes. If I bought my own gear, it's all tax right off at the end of the year. Yeah. So that's why guys bought their own bats and then they could use them for like charity stuff. Didn't think about it. They're like, Oh, I like too like too low and enjoy bats spend like, I don't know, 10, 20 grand on bats every year. And I'm like, why are you doing that? It's just tax write-off. And then the team doesn't get to go sell it in the store because they can't keep any of your bats. Whatever. Never thought of it that way. I wasn't advanced enough mentally at the time. Mo money, mo problems, I guess. Uh, I don't know who I'd want. I, I know a lot of guys were doing Adidas because they got the TaylorMade connection when that was could they would get like all the golf gear. I don't know. I, I mean, I've always been kind of a Nike guy when it comes to, to gear and shoes. There's always, they're comfortable and I like the style of them. So you think Pelotero Pickle can get sponsored by Nike? I wear enough Nike stuff on here. I mean, I mean, I'm sure the executives are watching, so yes. we'll <laughs> maybe get hooked yes! up. Yes. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know who I would want. Like I'm thinking of like non-traditional brands like sweet baby Ray's barbecue sauce. Love that. That'd be a fun one. Like think of like Ricky Bobby, like you got to put like the full like logos all over your Jersey type stuff. Like super coffee. Love their coffee. I'd rep them. For what? For just a few cases of super coffee. Yeah. Who knows what the deals are like Barstool sports that they started this like, agency and they're like oh signed another person like what are they signing are they just doing like a docu sign they just gotta go like like what's the deal like are they getting paid are they getting the the one thing that would be really interesting is if you create this network of of athletes that when you want to put something out you're like hey i have three thousand athletes in the stable that all have all agreed to do this thing and then you got to distribute through that network maybe you create different categories there's ways to do it it'd be interesting be interesting yeah. but then like what are you getting paid like three dollars per thing if you're like if you're an athlete you get three thousand athletes it's a ten thousand dollar deal so everybody gets three dollars start doing it on commission where like you like tracking link clicking yeah or what like what happens if you're a player you sign a deal with like a bar stool or some other like vayner i saw has some stuff going on so what if you need an agent after that what are the terms like what happens there i don't know it's, I mean, it's incredibly early. There's, it's the wild west out there. I have no idea what's going to happen. I'd love to see like some Ivy League school kids getting like, like Texas instruments for calculators. <laughs> like, like some, some wicked small kids. Your profile. That was like racist, I think. You profiled that the kid, the TI 85 would be the so hard. Ivy League school is smart. And then a brand would want to align themselves with that. That's, yeah. I mean, that's, that's marketing. <laughs> brand identity yeah you know you know what i i just really want you guys to do weird stuff that takes all the attention away from their sport and puts it on them what about like fast food restaurant chain who would you want shake shack shake shack i saw like like i think it was the oklahoma quarterback or something oklahoma state got like zaxby's yeah. or something like that zaxby's, is, zaxby's is, never zaxby's had it. it haven't had it or maybe it was raising canes one of the, it was one of those. Raising Cane's just doesn't give you sauce options. Saxby's is giving you like sauce plays. 
I think they're both. They're actually both crinkle cut fries. Zaxby's just get lets you go like buffalo, Asian zing, whatever teriyaki. Zaxby's didn't play in the Midwest. I'm I'm about that life. They have them down here. I haven't met it either. Rather, it, when I let me tell you something, I'd rather have torchies or or barbecue when I'm in Texas. I'm not, I'm not gonna bother to go to a Zaxby's in Texas. I see. I haven't I haven't been around the Midwest enough to know like what's what are the chains in the Midwest. I've spent entirely too much time in the Midwest. Yeah, I'm gonna think about it. I think for next show we need to pick some uh, better brand. I just want Dairy Queen. Pitch. Should, we should do like our brand pitches for each episode. We should do that. Dairy Queen and Shake Shack. Dairy Queen and Shack. You get Starbucks for you? You love Starbucks. Uh, yeah. I mean, I just love coffee. I, any coffee. I like the, but I like the super coffee, the brand super coffee. Yeah. If Boston Donuts does like flavored coffees. Like, wow, what, I want Boston Donuts. Like they got like Reese's peanut butter, Snickers, pistachio, like it's very regional too so you can pull that off super coffee i think is based in austin texas i'm pretty sure i need to i need to figure that out they can sponsor pelotero last topic we'll do like we'll do like pelotero powered by pellet super coffee i was watching the episode of uh silicon valley last night where there was the uh they had to do the jump yeah with blaine yeah and uh and Fred. yeah uh post show is all about show. Hey, Otani. He's got 31 homers. First player ever to be voted as a pitcher and a hitter. I asked on Twitter if if Mike Trout's a generational talent, what is Shohei? Because he's doing things Babe Ruth never did. It's wild. What he's doing right now is crazy impressive. I, I still want to know. Like, I everybody tries to say he's a pitcher who rakes. He's a position player that pitches. I'm going to stand firm to that. Just like Babe Ruth was a position player who pitched in his early career. Let, all right. So let's face it. Like if you want to be a nasty position player, you better be position player first. Right. Like you can't like, like John Lester ain't going to become like a plus plus outfielder. You know what I'm saying? Uh, like think about how few pitchers could smash, but think about how many hitters could go pitch. Brett Phillips. Like, I, well, I, I was gonna, I, I used the two term hitter loosely there, but like, yeah. But did you see? Is is he just hopped on the mountain through ninety four? I mean, just absolutely egregious, blatant disrespect for the game, but the funniest thing ever because it's not disrespect. It's just Philly being Philly. Like he's a good kid, throws cheese. Do you think that was bad for the game? Do you think that was an embarrassment? I think it was great, but it was just it, like. It's just unbelievable to me that it, it caught so much attention because, like, but he's like he's got like Gronk status where he can get away with stuff like that. Yeah, because he's got the greatest laugh in the history of the world. And but I think so. I think more people could get away with more stuff if their if their personalities were just consistent enough to allow them to happen. Now, the thing is, like, at what point at what point do we cross the line of like, hey, you're a good player versus like, you're not. And like you're gonna stick around for this is the same thing we're talking about with the NI, uh, the NIL stuff, right? It's like, all right, cool, like Brett, like love it, dude, love you, you're the man, like good kid, we talk a lot, like, <laughs> like it's funny, but like is I don't know, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, like maybe I'm an I'm an ass, like I, it's just I don't get it, like I don't get, like, I don't get. <laughs> why he got an interview after the game asking about pitching. It was an electric interview. He was talking about the Mariano Cutter and the Randy He said, because you got to throw that 94 up there. You never know when that fireball's coming. (laughs) I was laughing. So he's the type of guy in the clubhouse. Like, you have to have the right personality in the clubhouse to be able to pull something like that off. Sure. If you're just like, you got to have an established work ethic you have to be consistent in your personality, but that that's an opportunity to flip. A, we just got our butts handed to us into a laughable, funny, like turn the page moment. Right. Sure. As opposed to like going to the clubhouse after the game, like we just got boat raced 10 to 10 to one. We suck. But at that point, it's like you just, at, when he comes into the game, you've acknowledged the loss. You're not, it's not, a, it's a non-competitive game. 
So like, have fun with it. If yeah. you didn't come into the game, if some reliever came in and got three outs, it wouldn't have made a, a blip. But th- so now we're getting back to like, so we're getting into the entertainment of sport, right? This this is strictly the entertainment of sport. So at like, what, at what point, like, where's the line, dude? I, I don't you know. Can go on, you can go on, not entertainment. You can go on Instagram, and you got a you got the videos of of kids in the dugout where a PO gets in that bat, and they're like hyping them up because it's a PO that gets in that bat. Have you seen videos like that before, where they're like? Literally, I don't think any from the dugout should ever be referred to as a pitcher only. And by the way, I'll never call a pitcher only a PO because I think of post office boxes, I think of putouts, and I think it's really easy to say pitcher instead of PO. Like I think it's the same length and time. I know the letters are different, so it's just oh, he's a, just a pitcher. Um, but anyway, PO, the reason POs happen is because they get charged differently in travel ball. Because they don't, they're not paying for at bats. They're being, they're paying to be a pitcher only. That's why it happens. I'm just telling you, you don't have to and, like it. Um, the, the, so again, it, like the reason why it was entertaining is because it was different, right? Because it's, it's just different. It's off the mark. It's, it's weird. It's, so I guess if the whole game was played like that, it wouldn't be unique. Um, but Brett Phillips is a unique personality and I love him to death. I really do. I, I mean, he's, I just, uh, he's become a friend over the years and, um, super happy for him when that happened with the world series last year when he got the hit, but I don't, I don't get it. Like, I don't get why it got attention. It's cool. Like in the moment, like it's cool. Like if you're his teammate and you want to laugh and be like, but like now it's a week later and everybody's still talking about it. And I'm like. I just saw that interview t- this morning and I was laughing. He's funny. He's a funny cat. Just listening to him laugh. Is funny. The first time I heard him laugh, I couldn't, I almost couldn't, I thought he was having a seizure and I forgot that he was the guy. See, we were supposed to talk about Shohei Otani and 31 homers and all-star game stuff. And we just did this whole five minute thing on This him. is the world we live in, Bobby, but this is the, this, so like this is the whole point. It's not about the sport anymore. It's literally not about the sport. And is that okay? I guess. Nobody's talking about Mike Trout. Everybody's talking about Shohei because he's, like, different. He's a unique character. And, like, he's a stallion. Like, yes, he is a – He set the record for most homers in a year by a Japanese player. Straight thoroughbred. In the first half, he did it. Yeah. He's a thoroughbred, bro. But if if Trout is a generational player, what is Shohei? I don't even think you can make the argument that Trout is the generational player anymore. Cause like, that's the generational play. Like maybe he's the once in a life, once in a worldwide, like the modern day Babe Ruth, but it, like I, so we never got to see Babe Ruth play. Right. I never got to watch. So Babe Ruth was doing things that nobody else was doing. He hit more homers than entire teams. I, I understand that. That's why like from a, Whoa, this is a leap situation so on a baseball like athlete that can do stuff that other people can't yes he's ruthian i would argue that in the old days there were more guys that could do stuff that the whole team couldn't like guys hit 440 or whatever it was like i would imagine that happened more often than we give it credit for probably got paid attention to least i got to talk about ruth did it with consistency i guess i get a season where he hit more homers than teams. Um, yeah, I mean, I, it's stupid. Like, it's literally stupid. It's pretty good. I'm, I'm curious as to whether there are more guys that can do it. Yeah. Well, is it – and then can are guys capable of doing it versus actually getting the opportunity to do it? I that This is my point. I think more guys could pitch in the big leagues. I think – when we were growing up, it was like you had to choose. I, I didn't understand then, it. So look at it from a from a thirty one homer standpoint. Vladdy Jr. Could he hop up on the mountain pitch? I don't know what his arm strength is like, but these, but like what he's doing what he's doing from an offensive standpoint is league leading. So you need one of the top 10, 15 guys sure. offensively to hop on the mound and have a two eight ERA. I, I agree. Like, Ninety eight. So if <laughs> if you took guys with hand cannons that were good players. Vlad, Vlad senior had a bazooka, like yep. literally 
Could he have pitched? Yeah, because he ended up being a, a DH full time. But like it, modern pitchers, Trout doesn't have that good of an arm. He might be able to get on the mound and throw, but his his arm strength is not that high. I have a question. Uh, People get can can, peep, can can pitchers get hitters out at eighty six? I mean, sure. Okay, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be exciting. It'd be like, who cares? Well, if it's exciting, if you're playing, if you're playing both sides of the field and you're throwing eighty six and getting people out, like it's going to be exciting. It won't be as exciting. The game fundamentally made a choice that everybody needs to throw 95, right? Or whatever. To, to be considered good, like you have to be able to throw hard. No, because it's it's like Olympics. The 100-meter dash is the most exciting event. It's just – the velocity is exciting. It's uh, – I don't know. It's just the way it is. I just like hitting the homers is exciting. I you loved know? watching Greg Maddox go soon. Yeah, but you have to watch him every day to appreciate it. And – like, fine. They don't do a line drive derby. They do a home run derby. That's fine. But like the, again, this is like the whole point. Like the game is becoming not the game. It's becoming about the the entertainment moments. And that's like, dude, are we watching baseball or are we watching like highlights? Like it's just whatever. Pick one. If if you want it to be the highlight game, like I'm out. Like I'm good. I don't. Need no, it. but 31 homers and a half. You can't fake that. I I saw a video of a kid on the on the Mariners last night. Hit a pump. Like hit it lefty and then went like this backed all the way across the righty's batter's box. Now it did hit off the right field line, right? It hit off the foul pole, fair pole, whatever you can call it. So I'll give him some, like there was some leaning going on, but he went straight across the righty batter's box. And then I looked him up and he's hitting like 204. It's like, like don't do that when you're in 204. So that one to me is more like a highlight thing where it got pressed just because, it was different in like entertainment value alone. Shohei's producing, straight up producing. Yeah, the guy's a stud, bro. I, I, I mean, think Fernando Tatis Jr. is probably the best option to hop on a mound, hop on the mound, pump, and still hit homers. I who mean, else, who else is in the conversation? Let's let's face facts that Shohei. I mean, like you could take like a guy like Manny Machado and do it. You could take. There are plenty of guys. By the way, just uh, FYI, Brett Phillips, 1.4 war this year. He's hitting 199. How does he have a 1.4 war? I'm just telling you what it is. Baseball reference war is 1.4. But he didn't even play that much, does he? He's got 146 at bats. Does he? 174 played appearances. What's his on base? 314. How, was his defensive war, like, through the roof? Uh, I got to look uh, this up. Yeah, I guess it's a one. But I, like that doesn't make sense to me. Just doesn't make sense to me. Sorry, I don't get it. Love when you if you look up Brett Phillips, it's a the Google the Google options are Brett Phillips pitching, Brett Phillips baseball, nah. Brett Phillips laughs. Yeah, uh, I want baseball fan graphs. Anyway. He's on Cameo. We should start hiring guys on Cameo for marketing stuff. Do you think that would work? Sure. It's like, I want you to say congratulations to Pelotero. You guys are the best. We could do that. Okay. Fangraphs has him as a 0. 0.74. Negative 2.4 offensive, 3.4 defensive. What are you looking at? Baseball reference. All right. All right. On that note, do it. We figure out. <laughs>